0: Thanks, Lori. Good morning. Uh, Happy after Christmas, I guess. Uh, How do we say it today? (laughs) Good to see you all here. Why don't we start by singing together hymn number 122, Joy to the World.
1: Good blessed Christmas Boxing Day. Wish that to each of you. Um, Let's begin this service by reading the the true story that you have heard or read before. We'll read Matthew one, and I'll start reading from verse uh, sixteen. But just so you know the history, it's the genealogy of Jesus. From verse 16, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. And he gave him the name Jesus. Please join with me as we, as we pray. Dear loving God of grace and forgiveness, we praise you and honor you for your love that we have not earned. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood on the cross for our sins. As we have already celebrated and continue to celebrate your birth, Jesus, which led to your death and resurrection for our forgiveness, we cannot thank you enough for your love and grace. Open each of our hearts to you. Amen. Victor and Laurie, please uh, lead us as we worship in song.
0: Why don't we stand and sing together number 133. A little town of Bethlehem, number 133.
1: Let's take a brief look at life in the church. There's a note of the people in the hospital and ask that you pray for them. Our missionaries of the week are Don and Sharip, And we have a number of expressions of sympathy today. Henry Siemens passed away on December 16th and a private service was held Leona Berg passed away the next day Friday December 17th and also a private service has been held Peter Hamm passed away just this last Thursday a private service will be held and also a note of thanks from Abe Penner on behalf of his wife Sarah who passed away Note that the church will be closed tomorrow and the day after. And then there will be a... um, They'll be closed at noon on the 31st. And there's going to be an evening service on 7 o'clock on Friday evening, New Year's Eve. And take a look at those. The daily bread is available. And also there's opportunity to try and finish off the uh, construction of the, or paying for the construction of the um, accommodation for uh, John's uh, vehicle. Um, I'll ask that those who are in charge of preparing for the uh, annual reports uh, continue to do so, and as we pray for them. And... I ask that you again pray with me as we carry on with the Lord's service. Thank you, Lord, for being available to us at all times with your love and your grace. Lord, there are different needs in each one of us. We pray for you meeting the individual needs of each person whether it's dealing with health needs, whether they're in the hospital or at home or in a care center. Be also the comforter to each person dealing with the loss of life, the life of Henry Siemens, Leona Berg, Sarah Penner, Peter Ham, or any other individuals that are not mentioned. We ask that you lead and direct each church committee chairperson as they prepare for the annual report. And we also thank you for each person serving the church, whether it's this church or any other church of yours. We ask, Lord, that you would lead Ramona Elias, Mark Elias, Victor Engbrecht as they serve, and, Lord, lead each one of us as Listeners of your message, we thank you and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Good morning. The scripture for this morning will be taken out of the book of Matthew, and I don't know if Don was in communication with Pastor Engbrick this morning as to what he's preaching on, but maybe the Lord just led you to read what I'm going to read, which is wonderful because it is a good story. So we will be reading a few short passages this morning, all out of the book of Matthew. So let's start with Matthew chapter 1. And we'll be reading chapter one, verses eighteen to two, verse one. So Matthew, starting with uh, chapter one, verse eighteen. Here we go. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was about—sorry, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she, had, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The next passage is chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. So verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And we'll drop down to verse 19, we'll read 19 to 23. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene this far out of the reading of the Word of God.
0: Thank you, Mark. And thank you also, Dawn. It's good to hear that story read. You know, you have to read a few times uh, to get everything out of it that you might get out of it. So this morning, what I want to do is uh, take a look at the man called Joseph. Who is Joseph of Nazareth? I was surprised uh, to find in my study what kind of a man he was and what his life represented. We read so little about him. In fact, we've read most of what can be read about him just now. Uh, Beginning of Matthew, as we just read, and then also there's a little bit in Luke. That's about all we've got. So what kind of a man was he? Was he a good husband? Was he a good father? We know at some point uh, Joseph was not in the picture anymore, but uh, we do know that Jesus had siblings, and not just a few. There are a few verses of Scripture that talk about Joseph's family. In Matthew twelve forty-six, where Jesus is talking to the crowds, it says, His mothers and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. That's Matthew twelve forty six. Another time he was teaching in his hometown of Nazareth, and these questions were circulating in the crowd: Is this not? Uh, is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? And that you find in Matthew thirteen fifty five, also in Mark six. So we can see that. Joseph was um, that Joseph was the father of a large family, and we also know from Luke uh, that Joseph was still on the scene when Jesus was twelve years old, and when his parents found him in the temple, talking to the teachers. But after that, you don't hear much about him. He isn't quoted, hardly referenced, and we we don't know about Mary becoming a widow or about Jesus, the firstborn, burying his father. So who is this Joseph? We hear about him, uh, we first hear about him when uh, Mary is told that she's pregnant. Uh, no doubt he will have been brokenhearted about that. Uh, she was the bride of his youth, uh, the one he wanted to spend his life with, and he was waiting to get married. Young couples are, of course, familiar with that, and some of us uh, might still remember those days. (laughs) Good times, exciting times. The whole community celebrates when a young couple gets married. Celebration with family and friends and the church community of a young couple's commitment before God to, to spend life with each other and it's the only human relationship that is defined by a covenant it's a lifelong commitment so what was Joseph to do in this situation suddenly his betrothed was pregnant and we can imagine the torment in his mind he might have thought I was faithful why wasn't she faithful who was it that made her pregnant anyway And why did she choose to be with someone else? I was so sure we had a solid, faithful relationship. Maybe she was the victim of force. Oh God, why did it have to turn out this way? What am I to do? Being betrothed in that day was almost like being married. And because Mary and Joseph were betrothed, he couldn't just walk away from her as much as he may have wanted to. William Barclay describes betrothal like this. The betrothal was what we might call the ratification of the engagement into which the couple had previously entered. At this point, the engagement, entered into by the parents or the matchmaker, could have been broken if the girl was unwilling to go with it. But once the betrothal was entered into, it was absolutely binding. It lasted for one year. During that year, the couple were known as man and wife, although they had not the rights of man and wife. In Jewish law, we frequently find what is to us a curious phrase. A girl whose fiancé had died during the year of betrothal is called a virgin who is a widow. It was at this stage that Joseph and Mary were. They were betrothed, and if Joseph wished to end the betrothal, he could do so in no other way than by divorce. And in the year of betrothal, Mary was legally known as his wife. So that's a description for us of what betrothal is. It's a big deal. It's like being married, but you're not living together yet. A little backwards uh, from our <laughs> society, isn't it? So here they were, in that period of time after betrothal, before the wedding. Joseph loved Mary. We see this in the way that he considered his response. Keep in mind that though we were in the New, we're in the New Testament at this point, um, the Old Testament law was still still stood right. And with this in mind, you might recall uh, some of the laws that were given in Deuteronomy regarding human relationship. One passage says this, Deuteronomy 22, verse 23. If there is a betrothed virgin, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife." So you shall purge the evil from among your midst. So if you think God isn't concerned about premarital sex, think again. He made a law that it was punishable by death. And there were some serious consequences for what, in Joseph and Mary's situation, looked like promiscuity. Now we know that Joseph... Is not the father because Matthew 1 18 says, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph also knew that he was not the father and probably considered a few options. He could expose her and save his own reputation, like Deuteronomy 22, which would humiliate her and her family publicly and could very well mean stoning for Mary. That was one option. Another option was take her as his wife. But how could he bring himself to do that? It was obvious to him that she had been with another man and shown herself to be unfaithful. She had been defiled, she was unclean, unfaithful, and the relationship was soiled. How could he take her now? And then the third option was to divorce her quietly. In Matthew we read, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And this was Joseph's chosen response. And it speaks highly of him, actually, right? Both Mary and Joseph would have to carry on living with the consequences of the sin she was perceived to have committed. She or both of them. By choosing to divorce her quietly, Joseph spared her the shame of outright public humiliation, humiliation that's not soon forgotten, and quite possibly he spared her life. Joseph didn't retaliate or seek any kind of vengeance. His actions showed that he loved her And he still wanted to protect her dignity. And that even in the pain of perceived betrayal, it seems, he forgave her. Joseph was a man of mercy, a man of integrity. Keeping the whole thing quiet also meant that he wasn't interested in making a big scene and stirring up the whole community. So at the outset of our introduction to Joseph we are met by a man with a depth of character, of mercy, and of peace. However, before Joseph had a chance to act and dismiss his wife with a certificate of divorce, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Sometimes when we come to decision time in our lives, we need to make important choices. And for me, um, those times have been times when I've asked God to be clear, to speak clearly to me, because I don't usually catch on right away. So I want to know clearly if God is leading me in a particular direction, and this was one of those times for Joseph. And I can't help but think that Joseph sought God's direction in this matter, clear direction. Yet these, again, were Old Testament times in the sense that the law of Moses was abundantly clear, and it still stood. In any case, it was decision time for Joseph, and he did receive clear direction. Matthew records that as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Well, that's not something that happens every day. And I don't think there's anyone else in Scripture of whom it is said he received a visit from an angel. I think, I think in the passages we read today, we counted four times when an angel visited him. Imagine being Joseph, and the angel appears and says, Joseph, son of David. What do you suppose that meant to him? First of all, his dad's name was not David. David. <laughs> So' that something else is going on here, according to Matthew 1:16, his dad's name was Jacob. Secondly, there was nobody in the lineage of Joseph whose name was David, except King David, the son of Jesse. Joseph, son of David, may have been a reminder for Joseph that he was of that lineage. And as he remembered, other thoughts may have come to mind thoughts from the history of his people that he would have learned growing up. All the feasts of his people focused on a holy God and his chosen people. And at the feasts and in the temple, the scriptures will have reminded them of the covenants that God made with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. And just as Israel was delivered from bondage in Egypt, the Jews at that time we were looking for deliverance from Rome. And they clung to the promise of a Messiah, a deliverer from the lineage of David. Psalm 89 verse 4 says, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Psalm 132, 11 and 12. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. The words Joseph, son of David, will have helped him to see that this was not just about him. His situation was part of a much bigger picture. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. The angel spoke directly to the very situation that Joseph was facing and told him exactly what to do and why. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. (laughs) Talk about a clear answer. There it is. These words are beyond anything that Joseph had ever thought. That an angel of the Lord would be telling him that the baby his wife is carrying will save their people. And as he heard these words, perhaps other scriptures came to mind, like Isaiah 7 Fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Their situation seemed to fit this prophecy. Mary was a virgin. Joseph was told the baby would be a son. Or Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The very hope of this chosen people, the promised Messiah, God was entrusting to Joseph's care. Together with Mary, he was to care for and raise the Son of God as his own. It's one of those, uh, this can't be kind of moments. (laughs) One moment your life is just chugging along, incredibly average, and the next normal has no meaning. It's just your life is turned upside down. Joseph suddenly sees all of life from a whole new perspective. Did Joseph have questions? I'm sure he did. Were there doubts? Probably, but not for long. God doesn't do great things through doubters. God does his work through believers. Mary may just have returned from her three-month visit to her relative Elizabeth, who in her old age was about to give birth to her firstborn, John the Baptist. And when Joseph told Mary about his dream and all that the angel said, she will have shared about her encounter with a visiting angel uh, and and about Elizabeth and Zechariah, who also saw an angel when he was serving in the temple. Let's look at how God was at work to silence their doubts and answer their questions. Mary and Joseph were both visited by an angel. They were both told that what was conceived in her was from the Holy Spirit. They were both told that the child would be a son. And both of them were told that his name would be Jesus. There's affirmation. And also Mary knew that she was not pregnant by a man. How exciting for Joseph to know that she was still, or that he was still, her first choice for marriage. How how encouraging to know that her pregnancy was not the result of her unfaithfulness, but finding favor with God. How awe-inspiring for both of them to be in the know about what God was doing. And how important it was for them to both have the same knowledge. Many of their family and community would have doubted the story, and they would have had to take strength and refuge in each other as they walked this thing through. So they would have had to encourage each other what each of them received separately, but affirmed the story that each of them heard. Some people may have believed them, but not most. So, it would have been a hard, lonely road for both of them. So, how does Joseph respond to the angel's visit? When he awoke from sleep, the Bible says, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not till she gave birth to a son. The first thing we notice is that Joseph is obedient. As soon as he awoke from sleep, he immediately did what he was told. That in itself is a refreshing encouragement, because the obedience, the Bible says, is how we show that we love God. And that obedience was key in bringing about several prophecies about Jesus. Joseph obeyed the governing authorities by traveling to Bethlehem for the the census. Thereby, uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Micah 5, verse 2 that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem Joseph obeyed the angel when he was told to take his family to Egypt and that was a fulfillment of the prophecy from Hosea out of Egypt I've called my son Joseph was obedient the next thing we notice is that in obeying Joseph courageously maintained his commitment to his wife the option of divorce was not an option anymore. In fact, Joseph could still have the virgin bride that he had set his hopes on marrying. Isn't that something, eh? What is interesting, though, is that the Bible says he took his wife. Part of the wedding day ceremony involved the groom going to the home of his bride and taking her to himself and to their home the home that he had prepared for her during their betrothal what we do not know is where we are where we were in the timeline there of their one year uh, betrothal had they fulfilled that whole betrothal period or not the bible doesn't really say we do know that mary was gone for 3 months when she went to visit elizabeth But what do you think happened when Joseph took her to be his wife? An incredible thing happens. What happened in the community? All the shame, all the guilt, all the slander for that situation was shifted from Mary to Joseph. Right? Even though people would have known that she became pregnant before they were married, this would have been perceived by the community as a man owning up to his sin and acting responsibly, right? They would have thought, okay, good, well, he's following through on what he started. He took the heat, he bore the shame, he paid the price. To my own shame... More than once, Eileen and I have been with friends and in the course of conversation, I passed the buck at her expense or shared something about our relationship that was maybe a sore spot to me. You can probably guess how that would make her feel. Exposed or ashamed or embarrassed or something. I did something a husband should never do. Now what would it have done for Eileen if I had accepted the responsibility for my actions, my words, and hers? What if I had borne the embarrassment or shame on my own rather than let any of it fall to my wife? What if I would keep quiet about the things that don't need to be shared? How would she feel then? Honored? Loved? Protected? This is what Joseph did for Mary. He stood between her and all the shame that came from the community. It takes a lot of courage to be a man like that. Joseph was a man of courage. Third, uh, this one act also foreshadowed what was to come. Joseph saved his wife from shame and bore the shame and a rebuke for something that he had no part in. Right? <laughs> he didn't make her pregnant. Joseph had no part in the pregnancy that produced the awkward situation that they and their whole community had to deal with. Does it sound familiar? In the same way, Jesus saved his bride, the church. He bore the shame and the punishment for something that he had no part in. Joseph did not commit the sin that many thought he had, and he paid for it because he loved his bride. Jesus did not commit any sin, yet he paid for all our sin because he loves his bride, the church. What a beautiful prophecy, this act of Joseph. And the fourth thing I noticed is that Joseph was respectful and behaved honorably. Their marriage was not consummated until after Jesus was born. Why was this important? Well, we don't know all the angels' words. Uh, Maybe they were not all recorded at this time. I don't know because we don't read that the angel commanded him to wait but the fact that Joseph knew her not speaks highly of his respect uh, even reverence for God's work in Mary his respect for Mary as God's servant and for and for her participation in the work that God was doing the very thing he was likely accused of doing before marriage, he didn't even do after marriage until Jesus was born. Joseph was an honorable man. Do you think God chose the right man to raise his son? I think he did. And God nurtured Joseph to become the man he wanted him to be. Joseph was a man of character, a devout believer in God, He believed in God, he believed in the message he received from God through the angel, and he was obedient to the law of the Lord. Every year, the Bible says, they went uh, to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And in Luke 2.21, we can read about the days immediately after Jesus' birth, where Joseph follows all the commandments of the law for firstborn sons. There's a series of laws there that, that needed to be fulfilled or, yeah, obeyed. Joseph took responsibility, as his responsibility as husband and father, seriously. In the Gospel of Luke, Joseph and Mary are called Jesus' parents four times, and twice Joseph is called Jesus' father. But on one of those occasions, after they had been at the Passover feast in Jerusalem, they left for home and had to return back to Jerusalem because Jesus had stayed behind in the temple. And when Mary and Joseph uh, found Jesus, Mary said, Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Joseph had been the earthly father that that boy needed, and Jesus respected his father Joseph. As we read a few verses later, Jesus was submissive To his parents. And so, this, I might add, also demonstrates the humility of Joseph because he was essentially raising another father's son. After the account of Jesus at age 12 sitting among the teachers in the temple, we don't hear about Joseph anymore. I was thinking about the disappearance of Joseph and I began to wonder if the time had come for him to surrender his role as father to the true father that Jesus would grow to know by the time he was 12. It would seem that Joseph died sometime between Jesus' 12th birthday and the beginning of his ministry, public ministry. Perhaps God took Joseph off the scene so that we would not be confused when Jesus spoke of his father. So, who is Joseph of Nazareth? He was a man of integrity and character, a man of mercy and peace. He was obedient. He was courageous in his relationship with his wife, one who honors, loves, and protects his wife. He was a foreshadow of his adopted son, Jesus. He was reverent, he was respectful, he was responsible, and he was humble. Joseph was a real man. A man that every young man, every husband, and every father should emulate. So as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus him coming in the flesh. Let's also reflect on his earthly father, who raised the boy Jesus into manhood, who by his own life was a foreshadow of the Messiah, a man whose life and character is worth emulating. Praise God for good examples to follow. Let's consider him as we consider how to live. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. It's so good to be able to look into your word. And even from the few passages that we have on Joseph, we're able to see what kind of a man he was. And I thank you, Father, that you have given us at least these few verses to ponder what kind of a man raised our Savior. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his uh, love for you, his desire to be obedient and to do what is right. Thank you for him being an honorable man, one that every one of us men can can emulate as we consider again how to be good husbands and fathers. And Father, not to let this overshadow, we thank you for the lord jesus christ whom jesus or whom joseph raised for jesus coming in the flesh for had he not come in the flesh how could he have how could he have suffered the punishment of human sin had he not become human and so we thank you father that he became like us in every way that he could take our place on the cross Take the penalty and the punishment for human sin and set us free. Thank you, Father, for this good news. As we think about these things in the coming days, would you pour out your Spirit on us, help us to think about these things and apply them to our lives. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Let's sing together number 115. Why don't you stand? receive this benediction from Romans, and then the blessing from Numbers. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him, that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things... To him be glory forever. And then the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Merry Christmas.